The message you're about to hear is a production of the Word and Sound Ministry of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Throne of Grace, Richmond Hill. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God bless you as you listen to the transforming and inspiring Word of God. Are taking over territories. We are taking over territories. Amen, amen, amen. amen I'm not amen. hearing the amen. Okay, I am taking over territories in the name of Jesus. It is our dominion month. We walk in dominion, we walk in victory, and we take over territories in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, shall we pray? Precious Father, your children have come again this morning. Jehovah God, the ones you love, the ones you saved, the ones you healed more than 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary, the ones for whose sake, Lord God, you took captivity captive and you made a public show, Lord God, of everything that stands against us, everything, Lord God, that stops us from having dominion. You made a public show when you took them captive and you nailed everything to the cross of Calvary. And so, Father, this morning we have come again to learn at your feet. We have come, Lord God, to hear from you. Jehovah God, we pray that you will minister to us yourself this morning. And Father God, that as our hearts are open, Lord in heaven, we will receive the word with meekness in the name of Jesus. Father God, that we will stretch our minds in line with what you have asked us to do. And Father, we will think big. We will think business. Jehovah God, we will start early. We will start right in the name of Jesus. We give you all glory, all praise, all honor as we just sit at your feet this morning. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord, church. And so we are kicking off with think big. Think big. And we may be wondering what has, you know, thinking big got to do with dominion? But let's just go through the whole series and we'll see why we need to think big. But what's the meaning of dominion? What's the meaning of dominion? Dominion means the power or right to govern and control. It's about ruling, it's about controlling, it's about having authority. That is what dominion is about. And so when you think dominion, you think about territories. Because at the end of the day, the power to rule or to control is about a territory. You cannot have the power to rule or control arbitrarily. You cannot have the power to rule or control all over the place. You cannot have the power to rule or control just anywhere because if that were to happen, then you would not be focused. Then you would not know how to harness your energies, your strengths, your potential to get the very best out of what it is you have. So for example, we have a prime minister here and what is he in charge of? What's the territory that he should dominate? It is Canada. Yeah? And so there's that focus. And even when he goes into the meetings, you know, G7, G20, G whatever, at the end of the day, he's going in with a focus for Canada. He's going in because he wants the best for Canada. On the other hand, we have the Premier, our very amiable Doug Ford. Yeah? And what's his focus? Ontario. And so when he's talking, he's talking Ontario. Ontario. Ont he's not talking Alberta. He's not talking Saskatchewan. He's talking Ontario. Then you come down. 
and you have the mayors. And the most popular mayor is who? John Tory. It doesn't matter that I don't live in Toronto. It doesn't matter that here we're in the city of Richmond Hill. I'm sure a lot of us do not know who is in charge in Richmond Hill. But you talk about John Tory. And you're like, oh, wow, okay. It's because all you hear when it comes to the mayors is John Tory. And so you're asking yourself, just going with that example, so who is it that dominates your space when it comes to that level? Even though here we are in Richmond Hill, even though some of us live in various areas, some of us live in Markham, some of us live in Vaughan, some of us live in Brampton. But at the end of the day, the person who seems to be most popular, who seems to dominate the airwaves at that level is Mayor John Tory. Am I talking to someone this morning? Am I talking to someone this morning? So when it comes to your space, who comes first? Who is top of mind? And this is where we talk about dominion. This is where we talk about thinking big. This is where we talk about dominating territories and the Lord will help us. So how has um, John Tory been able to do it? How has he been able to do it? Even when they're talking vaccines, you know, mobile clinics, whatever it is, oh, the mayor of Toronto. And you start wondering, is it only one mayor we have in Toronto or in um, Ontario? Is it only one mayor? In the GTA, is it only one mayor? But he dominates. He has taken over. He is the mayor of mayors. And so the question I put out today is in your space, are you the insurance broker of insurance brokers? Are you the HR manager of HR managers? Are you the caterer of caterers? Are you the investment manager of investment managers? So, what are you doing? What are you doing to make sure that you achieve dominance? in your space, in the territory that God has given you? And that's the question. God created us to have dominion. And Genesis 1.26 says it. There are just some nuggets that I want to put out there before we go into the uh, Q&A session. So this is going to be short. But I want us to know that God created us to have dominion. God did not create us to be bystanders. God did not create us to be onlookers. God did not create us to always play second fiddle. God created us to have dominion. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. And this is very early in the Bible. The very first book, the very first chapter. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the earth, the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God says man should have dominion. And much more than ever before, you and I, because we're children of the living God, he has created us to have dominion. That's the first point we should note. The second point is this. For us to have dominion, God expects us to play a part. God expects us to play a part. Proverbs 4.23 to 26. Proverbs 4.23 to 26. Those verses of scripture 
say, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Let's look at that. So God expects us, because he says, let all your ways be established. And for you to have dominion, your ways must be established. Praise the Lord. But there's a part you must play. There's a part I must play. And we play the part with our hearts, with our mouths, with our eyes, with our feet. If we go back again to Proverbs 4, 23 to 26, keep your heart. Your heart is very important. And we'll see that when we're about wrapping up. Your heart is so important. Because the Bible says from your heart flows the issues of life. And there's a lot that goes back all the time to the heart. The heart, the heart, the heart. And when your heart stops beating, you know that's the end. When your heart rate is not going right, or it's going at twice the speed, then you know that there's a problem. And it's almost like done. Somebody has a heart attack, you're like, oh, wow. What's going to happen? What next? So guard your heart with all diligence. Well, like I said, we'll see that the heart is truly important. Then it says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. Remember I said God expects us to play a part in achieving dominion, even though he has created us to have dominion, but there's stuff we have to do. So we need to guard our hearts. We need to put away from us deceitful mouths. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. So that's the part you play with your mouth. And then let your eyes look straight ahead. So in other words, focus. It's not, it's not saying, oh, that when you're driving, you shouldn't look to the left, you shouldn't look to the right. No. But it's just about focus. So you have a vision. You have a goal. You have an objective. And you need to be focused. So that's about your eyes looking straight ahead. And then ponder the path of your feet. So where are you? Where are you? So where have your feet led you? Where have your ambitions and your desires led you? God asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't really about his physical location. It was about his spiritual location. So your feet, in other words, where are you? Where are you located spiritually, even physically? Where are you located? In your office, where will you be found? Will you be found in the midst of, you know, those who connive to pull down a bus or something? Would you be found in bars, you know, in nightclubs? And then spiritually, where are you? Where is your mind? A lot of us come, we clap hands, we lift holy hands, we do all kinds of things. But really, in our hearts, where are we? Again, we come back to the issue of the heart. The third point that I want to bring out here is that God expects us to ask. Never ever say, oh, because God has made this promise. God created me to have dominion. God created us to have dominion. And then you sit and you're like, yeah, whatever God says he will do, he will do. There's a part that we have to play. And remember I said, God expects us to play a part with our hearts, with our mouths, with our eyes, with our feet. But God, with our mouths as well, he expects us to ask. That's the other part about the mouth. Psalm 2 verse 8, which uh, Deking Bimileke um, referred to and which is our focal scripture for the month. It says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. If God did not want us to ask, he wouldn't say in the Bible, ask of me. He says we should ask. Matthew 7, 7 to 8. Matthew 7, 7 to 8. Very popular. 
Matthew 7, 7 to 8, very popular. And it says, ask and it will be given to you. It doesn't say zip up your lips and it will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So for you to receive, you have to ask. Think about it. Think about yourself as a child. Think about yourself as a parent. If your child doesn't come asking, you may assume, okay, this child needs this. Sometimes out of mercy, out of the goodness of your heart, out of kindness, you say, okay, let me give this to this child. But sometimes you may be wrong because that is not what the child needs. And the child takes it and says, okay. But because the child hasn't asked, you don't know. But a lot of us might be sitting there saying, yeah, but, but with God it is different. Yeah, because, because he's the all-knowing God. After all, I'm not an all-knowing mom. I'm not an all-knowing dad. Great. But God says, ask. Ask of me and I will give you. He who asks, receives. Brethren, what is it that you desire? What have you asked of the Lord? What are you thinking about? What kind of thoughts are going on in your mind today? The next point is what do you see? Remember we said your eyes, you must be focused. What's the vision that you have? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? Let's look at Genesis 13, 14 to 17. Genesis 13, 14 to 17. And it says, And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. All the land which you see. You know, sometimes we are standing there, we are looking, but we are not seeing. The fact that your eyes are open doesn't mean that you are seeing. So what are you seeing? What do you see? And the Lord said, as far as your eyes can see, the land which you see, he says, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And don't we all sing today? Abraham's blessings are mine. Why? Because we are the descendants of Abraham. And the Lord said, Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. I don't know how far Abraham walked. But if the Lord says to me, walk through the land. Ah, if I can walk from here to Australia. And then from Australia to Senegal, I will do it. Yeah, because the Lord has said, I should walk in the land. And he will give it to me. So which land are you walking in? What are your eyes seeing? Genesis 15, 5, again about Abraham. Then he, talking about the Lord, brought him outside. So the Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. What do you see? What do you see? Where are your eyes today? What are you seeing? Again, that is about what goes on in your heart? Very quickly, because of our time, I want to tell us that your attitude determines how far you go. Your attitude determines how far you go. And because of our time, I'll be paraphrasing two stories. One is about Caleb and Hebron, and that you find in the book of Joshua 14, 6 to 15. Where Caleb, even though he was old, said, you know what? Moses said, X, Y, Z. This land, I am able to take it. 
I am able to take it. So, can you just give me the land? Joshua 14, 6 to 15. That is where that story is. Joshua 14, 6 to 15. And that was how Caleb actually inherited Hebron. He said, Moses said, you know what? Wherever my foot has trodden shall be my inheritance and the inheritance of my children forever. And he said, you know, God has kept me alive and I am 85 years old, but I am still strong and I want to go in and I want to get the land. And Joshua blessed him and said, go. But what was his attitude? A lot of us will say, you know what? That's too much for me. At 85, I still want to go and fight a battle. No, I am happy where I am. Where I am going is a lot closer than where I'm coming from. What do I need that for? And then our dreams die. There's a lady, I don't know how many of us know of her, Curitan Boom. If you don't know of her, please read her up. She was a Jew, and she did a lot of work with her family to make sure that, you know, a lot of Jews were delivered from the concentration camps in the days of Hitler. But she was over 50 when she truly started making a mark. How old are we? And a lot of us have given up. A lot of us are here like, you know what? I'm just here. A lot of us are like, yeah, where I come from will not enable me make strides in this land. False. You will strive. You need to think big. You need to think beyond boundaries. You need to stretch your mind. And then you will get there. Caleb stretched his mind. And he said, you know what? There was this promise. I'm 85, but I'm able to go and take the land. And the Lord backed him up. Attitude. The four lepers of Samaria. Second Kings 7. There was famine in the land. Again, paraphrasing. Famine in the land. And nobody had anything to eat. In fact, it was getting so bad. So, so bad. People were eating themselves. And they said, you know what? If we sit here, we will die. If we move forward, we will die. So, why don't we move forward? We don't know what lies ahead. But at least we know what, what our fate is here. And we know if we stay here, we will die. If we move forward, we may die, we may survive. And they moved forward. The rest, as we say, is history. And because of that single, because of that attitude, you know, we're going to go in. Like Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Attitude. Attitude. And with Esther, we know what happened. She went in, she had the right attitude, she went in and... That was the saving grace for her race. Brethren, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We all know that. He has not given us a spirit of fear. So what spirit is it that you're carrying in your heart? Be diligent. Be diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? It means to be steady. It means to be earnest. It means to put in that extra effort. It means to put in the energetic effort. It means to be devoted and to, you know, do your work in a painstaking manner so that you can accomplish what you need to accomplish. So, brethren, diligence for us today is about what we are doing and how we are doing those things. How many of us in the career space, in the business space, are looking for certifications? How many of us are involved in self-development, online things? How many of us have coaches or mentors? 
How many of us are making that extra, you know, taking that extra step? Or you even have a task in the office. You have a task that will move your business forward. You need to look at your investments. You need to look at what you are doing today. And you need to do something extra. But you know what? And even as we're approaching winter now, it's going to be a lot more tempting. You know it's cold. I'm under this duvet. It's fine. Let me just stay here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and poverty comes slowly but surely. And that is not our portion. As you think big, you throw that duvet off. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, no. It looks like people don't agree with me. As you think small, you cover your head with a duvet. And poverty will come upon you. And you will not take dominion. And you will not take over the territories that the Lord has promised you. When people are sleeping, you will wake up and you will do the things you need to do. Proverbs 22:29 says, Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. If you are diligent in your career, in your business, in whatever it is you are doing, you will stand before kings. I don't know about you, but kings will come to my rising. Thank you. You said amen when I said kings will come to my rising. And kings will open the two-leaved gates unto each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. As we think big, the land will yield its increase to us in the name of Jesus. But you know what? Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Let me just look at the TPT version very quickly. TPT, uh, the Passion Translation, it's a translation, it's a version of the Bible that I truly love. It says, if you are uniquely gifted in your work, you will rise and be promoted. You won't be held back. You will stand before kings. If you are uniquely gifted in your work, you will rise and be promoted. You won't be held back. You will stand before kings. I do not know about you, but I will stand before kings. If you believe it, say, I will stand before kings. I will not be held back. I will stand before kings. Amen. But brethren, as I wrap up this bit, it all starts from the heart. Everything starts from the heart. And this is why you must think big. What is it that you're thinking about today? What is it that is going on in your heart? What do you see? What are you thinking? What is it? You need to think big. What thoughts do you have? Are your thoughts of mediocrity? I am happy where I am. I can pay my bills and this is all I want. You know what? I am black. I am brown. I am pink. I am purple. I'm not going further in this land. Even if you were in your own land of origin and you think that way, you're not going to make any success of anything. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so are you. Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So when you say, um, it was a mistake... I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you meant to say it. <laughs> it was going on in your heart all along. It was there. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that is why a lot of time I say to people, silence, silence, silence. Bite your tongue. By the time you count to five, you forget it. Because once it comes out, it's out. And when you, come, when you say a word... You know, we even say, take ye word. 
What have you spoken in the Lord's ear? Whatever you say, you need to be very careful about what you say. Because what you say is coming from your heart. And this is why the Bible says you guard your heart with all diligence. Because from your heart springs the issues of life. The NLT says it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Brethren, today I'm giving us a charge. Think big. What do you see? What is it that is going on in your heart? What do you say? What do you speak? Where are you located spiritually? Where are you located physically? Where will you be found if someone were to visit you outside of church? Where would you be found? What is it that you truly desire? You need to think big. You need to stretch your thoughts. You need to stretch that vision. You need to think about where you want to be and the Lord will help us. So as I wrap up this bit, I want to charge us. Think big, see big, ask big, speak big, have the right attitude and be diligent. The Lord bless each and every one of us as we walk in dominion this month in the name of Jesus. Clap very well. Some of you are not clapping. Clap very well. Clap very well. Remember, I said earlier that the word of life is what delivers. Uh, you can go anywhere, but if you don't have the word of life, you won't be transformed. Um, so we're now kicking off our Q&A session. So just a small tweak to what I said earlier. If you're in-house and you have questions, um, you don't necessarily have to write it on paper. We don't want you to go the way of Habakkuk that says write the vision down. We want to hear from you verbally. So uh, if you have a question at that point when it's time, we'll, uh, you can raise your hand and a mic will come to you and you can give your question. But I'd like to first of all thank Pastor Fidela for coming. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for the word. Um, we're ha happy to have you here. Thank you for opening up this great series with us. Um, so what we're going to do is we have a few questions and online viewers as well, please take note. You, if you have questions, you can still put them into the chat. Um, there's also a possibility that we might cover some of those questions in the list that we have. So again, uh, sit back, relax, and uh, may you be blessed in Jesus' name. So we'll start off with the first question. Uh, first question I have for you, Ma, is when you hear the term territories, what are the things that come to mind? Because we're saying territories, it's a nice big word. Uh, but really have to break it down for people to actually understand. When you hear the word territories, what things come to mind? Right. So for territories, I think we covered that very briefly um, when I started off. So a territory is an area which is controlled by a person. It's controlled by a country. And... Um, as we, as we narrow it down, a territory is a place where a person has knowledge, has rights, or has responsibilities. Yeah? So you have knowledge, so it could be in your career, it could be in your uh, business, so you have knowledge there, you have skills. It could be where you have rights or responsibilities, so as parents, we have the territory of our families. So, um, yeah, that is what I see when I hear the word territories. Okay. Thank that's you what very I think. Much. Yeah. So, that's uh, cuts across the board. Um, every aspect of life, there's a territory we're trying to take over uh, or we're in charge of. The next question I want to bring up is, um, is a concept that I'm sure people have heard, um, but we invisibly don't think um, of how to go about it. The concept of a glass ceiling. Uh, there's this statement that's said in Canada, there's a glass ceiling in this country, the way it's structured. Um, the question I have really is, how do you navigate that if it indeed truly exists? Let's go back and think about the origin, the origin of the word, of the phrase, of the two words, uh, glass ceiling. 
it actually came about because um, women were discriminated against in the workplace. And even today, we actually know that women, I mean, from a study which I did some years ago, um, women are still being discriminated against, even when it comes to pay. A lot of us may not know it, but given my background, I do know that uh, women, same position, which a man holds, a women, um, um, the women are paid less for whatever reason. And so the glass ceiling, the concept of the glass ceiling came about because women found it a lot more difficult to get up to positions um, of um, responsibility in the workplace. And even where they succeeded, there was some discrimination of pay against them. But now it's been expanded. And it now covers not just women, it covers even uh, race. It covers um, also your political or ideological or whatever leaning. So you find out that, yeah, they say there's a glass ceiling when it comes to the owners of the land, the aborigines. There's a glass ceiling when it comes to the LGBTQ community. There's the glass ceiling um, uh, because I'm black, because I'm brown, you know, there's all of that. So um, the glass ceiling, so that's the concept. And what this means is that when it comes to the structure in Canada, particularly in the workplace, there is a glass ceiling. I tell you, it's not just about Canada. Everywhere in the world, I've worked in various uh, parts of the world, you will find out that there's a glass ceiling. Nobody truly talks about it because nobody wants to address it. Even when it's put on the table, it is a very sensitive topic. But how the question is, how do we na navigate it if it exists? Does it exist? It exists. Don't deceive yourself that it doesn't exist. Even in your country of origin, if you were there, there is a glass ceiling. It could be gender, it could be uh, race, tribe, you know, ethnicity, whatever. In fact, uh, sometimes age becomes a glass ceiling. Yeah, it becomes one of the things that will, that could create that barrier. So, how do you navigate it? And it's about being diligent. It's about doing your work in such a way that nobody will be able to say, you know what? This person needs to move to the next level. This person needs to get recognition. And remember that one of the points that I raised was diligence. So you need to be diligent. Go out, get those certifications, get the knowledge, get the skills and apply them. Don't get those things and just make them decorate your, you know, one folder on your laptop or your smartphone. Apply them so that the results become evident to all. Paul speaking to Timothy said, meditate on these things. Think on them. Let your profiting be evident to all. So as your profiting becomes evident to all, then you will see that the glass ceiling slowly but surely gives way. And then you look back and you're like, oh, did I come this far? Yes, you sure did. But you need to be diligent and have the right attitude. Okay. Thank you very much. Very in-depth. All right. So it looks like we have a question in the house. Please go. Now, my question is, in the society, we, like in school or whatever, there's this acronym that they say, SMART DREAM or SMART GOALS, whatever. We stand for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound. Now we come to church, they say think big, like there's no boundaries. There are one pastor who even preached say that, um, don't ask God what anyone can give you. Ask God something that is impossible. Now, where do you strike the balance? Because what I'm thinking, if I'm in a school environment, or I mean, like, or I'm thinking about the dream or vision, I try to be, try to make it specific, try to make it measurable, like try to make it realistic. But in church, like those kind of realistic doesn't exist. They ask you to think big, think wide. Like where do you strike the balance? Thank you very much for that question. 
and it's a very pertinent question. You know, when in the workplace you are told, uh, make your objectives smart, you draw up objectives that are related to your job, to your place of work, to what you want to achieve within a specific time. Remember, we're saying time bound. Okay? So you cannot say that one of your objectives within, and usually it will be within six months, 12 months. You cannot say one of your objectives is that you want to be CEO within six months. Yeah? But you can have your own personal goal. So as, as far as the workplace is concerned, you can say smart. But I even want to say that even today, some of those things are being challenged. You know? And so they're saying, hey, if we want to have empowered employees, how do we structure these objectives? And is it, do we truly need this kind of objectives these days? And so there are those things that are coming to the fore now. This, uh, so that is being challenged. And I'm sure that in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see a lot of it fall away. And so we're going to be looking at new ways of assessing uh, performance in the workplace. And that will mean that even as individuals in our own personal lives, we'll be looking at new ways of assessing performance. Yeah? But when it comes to your private space, what do you see? And this is why for those who have been part of Leadership 101, remember that I keep saying, you know what? You need to have a road map. And then you need to have milestones. So your roadmap could be five years down the line. Where do I see myself? But what are the milestones? And so those milestones are also time-bound. So in six months, I'm going to get a certification in this. In 12 months, I would have acquired three houses. In 18 months, I would have bought a business. So those are things. Those are objectives, little buckets that come along. But you have a very big vision. And so you are stretching that and you are thinking big. But that doesn't mean that when you come to um, the little things that you want to achieve, you don't want them to be realistic, you don't want them to be time-bound. But sometimes you even go back to those things and you're like, oh, wow, God did overdo himself here. In other words, God surprised me. And we see that all the time. I don't know if I've answered your question, Dikinadi. Thank you. Thank you very much. So in other words, God is not haphazard. We should have that mentality all the time. God is not a chaotic God. If he was chaotic, he wouldn't have left the world the way, he would have left the world the way it was, but he needed structure and order. So in other words, even if God wants to give you a big dream and he tells you to dream big, he doesn't want you to be haphazard about it. If I want to be a millionaire, uh, today, I can, I can be one in different ways. I could either have a roadmap or I can go rob a bank. I'm a millionaire, but as a person, I have the money, but I've lost something much more heavier than that, which is my value. Praise God. So we have another question from Fikaya at the back. Okay, so this question, I have noticed that there's whether it's talked about or not, but in the corporate space, there's actually a real inequality between black and white folks, right? In the pay, in, the, in like how much they get paid. You can be doing the same work and you may be getting paid differently. So if you want to think big, like how do you overcome these challenges? I know you spoke about diligence, you know, and being basically like a star in the space, but like, how do you overcome these challenges? So, you know, one of the things that we need to remember is the fact that the landscape has changed and continues to change. Gone are the days when you had a job for life. So you sit somewhere you sit in organization Y, and you're saying, I want to become chief information officer. I want to become CFO. I want to become CHRO. 
based on what your line is. I want to become chief technology. So gone are those days. And what you find happening is that people, and Vikaya, it's your generation, you no longer have jobs for life. The days of people being so committed and so dedicated to organization X, gone. And what people do to overcome those barriers, diligence, so I get the certification, I get the experience, but I'm out there looking for opportunities. And then when you get those opportunities, you get into a system where you negotiate and then you move. Because when you sit in the same place, tell me, what's, what's the annual salary increase? 1%? Uh, 2%? 3%? Where's it going to get you? Where? Okay, so I sit here, and if I'm doing well, every year I get 3%. And I'm hoping that I will get something fat. Think big. Paradigm shift. Change your mindset. And start saying, you know what? I owe myself something. And the way I can navigate this is by, you remember triple jump? I'm going to go hop, step, and jump. So where are you hopping? Where do you step? And then where do you jump? So get the experience. Get the certifications. You know? Give whatever you're doing today your very best. Look for opportunities. And then we move. Thank and you. that's the way. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ma. Uh, great question, Fikayo. Um, I noticed that it covers a couple of questions we have here on our list. Uh, just to just buttress a little bit on what uh, Pastor Fledia said, um, this is not a license for you to just pick up your job and leave, but <laughs> wisdom needs to be applied. But Typically, and I'm not going based on my experience as well, once you're in a place for two years plus, most likely you're underpaid. Most likely. If you stay there, you're underpaid. Uh, one of my friends, what he does is, he's in the banking sector, so what he does is, every two years, he is moving. Essentially, what he's doing is, he has covered all the big banks in Canada, he's been there in one segment, um, but every time he jumps, it's five figures. Five figures, he jumps, five figures. So we did the math and said, okay, hey, if you had stayed at the first bank, what would you have been? He said, you know what, he would have probably died there because there's no way the margin would have moved in that, in that dimension. Five figures every single time he moves and he waits for two years. So it's a strategy, but it's not like this guy is doing there and doing nothing. He has certifications, he does MBA, he has all this other stuff. But the whole idea is that even if you love your job, the whole idea is that you have to keep it in your mind. Make sure that you try to, um, I tell myself, still go for interviews, still apply for jobs, even if you're in your current role, still apply. Because you have no clue what's out there, and you have no clue who's willing to pay you more, who's able to value you more. But if you sit there and you fall in love with the benefits and the perks only, uh, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> so, um, I'll move on to my next question, and then anyone that has questions, please raise your hand. There's this key question here that comes up, and I know people might have some thoughts about it. It says, what is the key difference between an individual contributor and being a team contributor? That's one side of it. The second side of it is, how does that help you in becoming a leader? Great question. And again, it goes back to Okay, uh, there are two sides to this. So as an individual contributor, when you are an individual contributor, what it means is that it's just about you, it's what about, it is about what you're doing and what you just put on the table and what you put on the table is taken and made use of. And what you find out is that when you are low in the pecking order in the organization, you're going to be an individual contributor. So if you see yourself being an individual contributor in your organization today, that just says that your level is low. But again, sometimes it's about your style. 
you may be at a level where you are required to be a team contributor. But because of your mindset, because you've not been able to make that paradigm shift, then you continue being an individual contributor. Now, what's the difference between an individual contributor and a team contributor? A team contributor looks at the full team. And it is about the fact that if I don't do my bit, somebody else will suffer. And so I am looking at the whole team and I'm saying, I need to do this to make sure that as a team, we deliver. So even when I've finished my bit, I know I can go somewhere and help somebody to achieve the results for the team. And it's not about myself. But when you're an individual contributor, there's no way you can help somebody. Because you've just been given that little pie, and it's that pie that you focus on. But if you're, a team, if you're in a team, and you're a team contributor, you can do your bit and then support other people to achieve their objectives. Again, going back to Leadership 101. So these are some of the things that we talk about in the leadership series. And how does this help you in becoming a leader? Because as you contribute to other members of the team, the focus is no longer on you. And so you are now looking at what the team can achieve. And again, remember we said, team stands for together, everyone achieves more. I know quite a few of us here have been on uh, Leadership 101. Together, everyone achieves more. And so what then happens is your supervisor sees the way you are supporting other people to make sure that the group or the team achieves its objectives. And then a, a position opens up and you are moved. And so gradually you find yourself getting into leadership. You find yourself getting into leadership. And these are the things. And when people ask for references, and you say, okay, this supervisor will give me a reference. Then he's talking about those things. And then the next big job that you're looking for comes your way. And this is why it's important to think about the team. Think more about the team as you get into positions of influence. And think less about yourself. Yes, you must get your beat done. So let me rephrase it. Think about yourself and think about the team. Don't think less about yourself, but stop thinking about yourself 100%. You've got to think about the team and say, how do we achieve more as a team? I hope I've answered that question. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Ma. Very insightful one there. Um, does anyone have any questions? I have a couple more questions here, but I want to take questions from in-house. Anyone? All right, no one so far. Okay, no problem. Um, there's this one here I believe everyone would uh, have a feel for. Um, the question is, how can a believer address what is known as office politics? Nice, glamorous word, office politics, we hear it all the time. So how can a believer address what is known as office politics? I'm sure everybody has their own take on it. So, How can a believer address family politics? Do we have politics in the family? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. How can a believer address church politics? <laughs> I'm shaking tables here. Do we have politics in church? Yes, yeah, yeah. Am I hearing you or not? Yes, yes, yes. Do we have politics in the family? Yes. Do we have politics in church? Yes. Do we have politics in the choir? <laughs> do we have politics in the technical department <laughs> so wherever you go you find politics that's the truth uh, man is a political animal do we have students of political science in the house and then the first thing you learn when you are studying political science is that man is a political animal and wherever you find yourself even uh, the babies will be dedicating today. Uh, they are already playing politics, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. And I'm sure that the fathers will be like, mm, okay, 
Sometimes a child, you know, is uh, the mom has the child, the baby, and the baby is happy and whatever, and then dad walks through the door, and then the baby goes, and mom is like, what? That child is already learning to play politics. You understand where I'm coming from? So politics is so basic. But when you talk about office politics, now let's get serious. When we talk about office politics, what exactly do we mean? Is it about taking sides? Is it about camps? You know, things are happening. Oh, are you on this person's side or are you on that person's side? I remember there was something that happened, you know, in, in a church. Uh, not throne of grace. This was way back many years ago. And it was so big, it went. And one of the parties involved called me and then said, you know, if anybody who is not on the side of my family is against us. And what they were doing was wrong, even though they were my friends. And I kept saying it, anyone who is not on the side of my family is against us. And I said to her, the Bible says I should work out my salvation with fear and trembling. It does not say I should work out your family's salvation. And she went very quiet. So when it comes to the office, whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the organization or are you on the side of Mr. A or Mr. B? And as a Christian, you want to go before God and ask God, what do I do? Because from one day to another, the balance of power shifts. And that's something we all need to recognize. The person you are supporting today may not be there again tomorrow. And then what happens? And this is where you need wisdom. I say all the time, organizations are soulless. The organization you are in today, you may go in there tomorrow, and then you find out that your access has been blocked. Yeah. It's happened, yeah. and it continues to happen. And for all you know, it's the person you've been supporting that's responsible for that. So we need to go before God and ask for wisdom. You've been called, you've been um, not called into an organization, you've been recruited into an organization to do some work. What does your job description say? Are you doing your job in the fear of the Lord? And that for me as an individual is what always mattered. I've been in situations where Office politics, and I'm just like, not for me. I'm not going to get involved in this. If you're on the right side, you ask me, this is what I need to do. I will do it. I will deliver the results. But to say I will start playing politics, uh, talk about muiwa to uh, the boss, I will not do it. Go somewhere where people are talking. Oh, you know, this is what the CFO said. This is what the CHRO said. And, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand that lady. I don't understand this guy. What you say is what will be quoted. And so we need to be careful. The Lord has not put us in organizations to play politics that way. Do your job. Stay on the path of truth. You know who your friends are. And you can talk to them. But getting involved in that whole gang up, you know, the politics of whatever, please do not do it. And that's my advice. Do not do it. The person you are supporting today may leave the organization and you'll think, oh, we're very good friends. He doesn't tell you he's leaving. He leaves and he takes one, two, three, four people with him. And you're not one of the one, two, three, four people. And then what happens to you? The person you have been against now becomes your boss. <laughs> yeah? And as we say, fire. <laughs> and then you might as well add pepper to it. <laughs> I hope I have said something here without saying too much. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. Very good one. So in other words, politics are everywhere. So that means when I get home, I have to look at my household and say, hey, 
you guys have been playing this card for a long time. So um, there's a question I had that came to me directly. Um, it's kind of tied to what we're talking about now. And then I'll take questions from anyone in the, in the audience. Um, it's very specific. So it says, how do you deal with church politics when it is so clear things are not done right? So I'm presuming from this question, they want to know the course of action. I set myself up here. <laughs> you know what? Just like with everything else, if you think things are not going right, you want to speak to the people who may be involved and speak to them directly. There is nobody who cannot be approached. Nobody. Instead of going behind grumbling, call that person and speak to the person and say, I have an issue here. If it's the pastor, call him. Pastor, I need to see you. And I'm sure he'll make time available. If it's your head of department, call the head of department. If it's somebody in your department and you're the head of department, then call that person and say, hey, I'm not sure that I'm happy with what you've just done. And between yourselves, you will sort things out. But if you go around, you know, talking, oh, the pastor did this, oh, uh, this person did this, oh, Deacon Muiwat did that, oh, this is what Deacon Nadi did not do, you're not going to get anywhere. And then you, you just get bitter. You just get bitter, you get bitter, you get bitter, and you find out that it's affecting your spiritual life. Whereas when you throw things out there and you call people out and you say, hey, what happened here is not the way to go. This is what I think. And the other person says, but this is why I did it. Because you don't have the full view. You may not have the full understanding. And so you're coming from the premise of, yeah, this is wrong. But you don't have all the facts. Even in the place of work, it's the same thing. As much as you can, you want to just approach things in a very civil, you know, manner with a lot of humility and say, this is what happened. I'm just seeking to get some answers here. And I'm sure things will be sorted out. Thank you very much, Ma. Um, does anyone have any questions? Any questions that have not been addressed? Okay, we have hand at the back. And another, okay, on hand, okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, Pastor, I would appreciate if you can just um, throw more light on the things I hear around about doctoring, of, doctoring resume, right? You get into the system and they tell you that, oh, um, I don't want to use, okay, let's, some particular tribe, right? Um, some particular people from some country, what they do is they help themselves, they doctor their resume and everything. So how do you go about it when uh, that's the only advice you're hearing, doctor it and so that you can be called for interviews and all that? I am sighing very deeply. And you never know when you'll be caught. Um, without saying too much, I, I sit somewhere. Uh, there's some work which I do. And um, a number of those people who have submitted doctored resumes have been cut out. There was a case where somebody's resume, what the person submitted to back up the resume was 95% plagiarized. <laughs> and you know, for that reason, that person cannot get a registration in this province. So we need to be very careful. You doctor your resume, and uh, back to what Tokumbo said, yes. And the person goes, yes, I was somewhere, and you know, the people said this is what they have always done, and I did it. But you never know when. So some people get away with it for some time. And then you get to a point and you're cut out. And it's not only in this country. There was the case, you know, back to my country of origin years ago, where somebody left university. He was uh, rusticated. 
and presumably he went to another country and got a certificate. Nobody knew what exactly happened, but they know that he disappeared for a few years, came back, and everybody assumed, oh, he came back with a certificate. But he did the work well, all diligence and whatever, but he never got certifications again. So doctored resume, and then for, for whatever reason, you never know. This guy was already a director, so executive management level, in a top multinational organization, and then somebody just raised a question, and a journalist, the media got on it. Roll forward, he lost that job, and then a lot of media hype or whatever around it. So you never know. So you may get away with it today, tomorrow, but you put your head on your pillow, are you sleeping well? Brethren, you never know when you'll be caught out. And then remember, you do not leave a lie. If you have gotten that job based on a doctored resume and the Lord comes today, what will happen? What will happen? And this is where we need to be very careful. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Do not use doctored resumes. As children of God, we do not use doctored resumes. Go get the certification. Go online, do what you need to do. And start from the very beginning. Work your way up. And the Lord will honor you. He does not despise the days of little beginnings. Let us remember that. Do not doctor your resume, please. Thank you. All right, thank you. So for the sake of time, that will be our last question. So in other words, leaving us with this uh, tidbit, don't pad your resume. Um, I've seen it a lot, padding resumes. It said I need to be one a page or two, so I need to put something in the middle that makes it look as if I've done this amount of work. But I always say most times as believers, even if other people are getting away with it, you won't get away with it, most likely. Um, just like if you're speeding, say, oh, I've, I've, been, I've been paying my tithe, so I shouldn't, mm, no. The day the cop shows up is, is you they will catch, not the other people. So something to keep in mind, uh, as we started this off, please uh, make sure that you have this in full view, that think big, wherever your space is, is a space where you're meant to dominate. So may God give you wisdom, may God give you understanding, may God give you the word at all to do it in Jesus' name. Thank you for all online viewers in this talk show as well. We will continue the rest of the service. God bless you. Thank you very much, Pastor Delia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's word and we believe you have been blessed. For further information, please visit our website at www.throneofgracecanada.ca or send us an email to info at throneofgracecanada.ca. The word works. Throne of Grace. Transforming lives. Establishing His kingdom.